0: Father, we thank you that by your good hand, Lord, you you led us through the songs and hymns that we hung this sung this morning. Father, so rich, so deep. Thank you, Lord, for the words that these of these songs have encouraged me and I'm sure it encouraged us all of us. And we thank you, Father, that you are we are in your hands. And Father, even now, as as we come to the Word of God, your word, Lord, it is your desire that we continue to grow and to learn and be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, do the shaping. Grant us ears to hear, hearts to understand, that we may do just that in your power and your grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning is our second week in Philemon. And uh, I'm excited to come to you this morning uh, with this. And this is, uh, honestly, these are my next, these next four verses are my favorite verses of the book. the letter I'll say so short and I'm uh, looking forward to sharing them with you this morning as we mentioned last week we're gonna do the same thing again we'll read the entire letter so we see the context as a whole together and then we'll go back into verse 4 and we'll study together so why don't we read open your Bibles with me if you would uh, that you would see I'm reading correctly verse one Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother to Philemon our brother our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Ophia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but is now useful both to you and to me, I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. But if you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your, in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he writes how Timothy came back to him and spoke of how the Thessalonians spoke of Paul and of their faith. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3 writes, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return, for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? If Paul was encouraged by what he heard from Timothy from such a distance away, how much more should we rejoice when we see one another face-to-face on a weekly basis? How should our presence impact the believers here in the body of Christ in New Woodstock weekly as we meet together? Last week, we had the opportunity to see Paul's unusual introduction as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, we saw an unusual address as he brought forth not only him addressing Philemon in a personal letter, but also bringing Aphia, Archippus, and also the entire church brought around them. We saw a specific greeting and how he said, Grace to you in peace. We saw how Paul changed that pronoun to a plural pronoun to bring the entire church in the letter. And then we saw a specific thankfulness in verse 4. And how, as we said last week, Paul turned that camera from the wide-angle lens to the single focus and put it all on Philemon. And this being our second week in the book of Philemon, and as we continue to build up to Paul's appeal for Onesimus, we're going to see him in this appeal, as we move forward, him appealing to the known character of Philemon. And this known character is revealed within the context of Philemon in his local church. It's gonna be revealed as we look forward in Paul's thankfulness to Philemon in verses four to five, and Paul's prayer for Philemon in verse six, and Paul's joy for Philemon in verse seven. So starting with Paul's thankfulness, in verses four to five, Paul writes, "'I thank my God always, "'making mention of you in my prayers, "'because I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints again remember Paul is being spoken to specifically but who is listening the entire church is listening as Paul writes this letter I thank my God always making mention of you now that's word mentioned some of you guys may have in your in your scriptures make remembrance Paul makes remembrance often as he as he writes people in his letters he thanks them, making remembrance. Romans 1.8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being pro- proclaimed throughout the whole world. Philippians 1.3-6, I thank my God in all, rem- all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And in Colossians 1.3, the very church that Philemon is, is, the church is in his house. Paul writes, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And again, we mentioned before when he said grace to you and peace, we said, is, is this a rubber stamp from Paul? And we might say the same thing here as we look at Paul's thanks for Philemon. As again, is he going through the rote repetition? Is it just a flourish or, or a, a formula that he goes through just to, just to remind himself he needs to say something nice? I propose instead that Paul has given us a model for our own prayers as we pray for one another. Most of us, or hopefully all of us, should pray on a regular basis or do pray on a regular basis. But have we taken the time, as Paul does, to apply Philippians 4, 6 to our prayers? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God." We should know as a body of Christ and as ones who should love one another and as ones who lift one another up in prayer regularly, have we stopped to consider making thankfulness a part of our prayers for one another? Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So two points to ponder is before we move forward in looking at Paul's thankfulness and prayer. Are we truly thankful for one another? Do we know each person enough within this church? Have we taken the time to learn about who we are, each individual, to have something to be thankful for. Remember we talked about last week and we mentioned in passing First Corinthians 12:18, and how the Lord has placed each one in the body. And I will continue to harp upon this verse because it is so foundational to us understanding ourselves in this place right now. If that is truly the case, then the Father has brought each one of you with that gift we mentioned to bless one another. That alone is enough to be thankful for each other. But that next aspect of knowing each other well enough, do you know that person across the aisle? Do you know know that person behind you? Do you know the people aside from the friends and family you sit with every week? One author writes, when there is no prayerful contemplation of divine blessings, there can be no attitude of thankfulness. Let me read that again. When there is no prayerful contemplation of divine blessings, there can be no attitude of thankfulness. Do you see each other as a divine blessing from the Lord who's been planted here for your growth? If you don't, there can be no thankfulness. But if you do and you continue to ponder and meditate upon that, you only become more thankful. I am grateful for the men and women the Lord has placed around me here in the past 20 years. And the Lord is teaching me day by day when I pull out that prayer list that we have right here on the table, or did, or do, I try to make thankfulness for each name on there, no matter how well I know them. Lord, this person challenges me. Lord, thank you for this person talking to me. Do you take that prayer list? And that's my little plug for today. Do you have a copy of this prayer list? And do you pray for each other by name every week? and are you thankful for them? Second point, remember Paul is gonna address an issue in Philemon's life. This is a corrective letter, written kindly, but a corrective letter nonetheless for Philemon and his reconciliation with Onesimus. Yet he still gives thanks for Philemon. Paul sets such a great example here because when you look at 1 Corinthians, you have 16 chapters of correction 16, yet six verses before the first correction about division in the church, what does Paul write? He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. To put that in layman's terms, if nothing else in you, I'm thankful you're saved. If nothing else, thank you, Lord, for that. And here's 16 chapters of correction. Yet he still thanks the Lord for them. Yes, we are going to have people within this body of Christ that we do, we do not agree with. We don't see eye to eye all the time. To be quite honest, sometimes, and I'm sure I do it to you, drive you nuts. But yet, are you still thankful for them? I just spoke to a lady, a sister in Christ yesterday, who was frustrated with someone. And then when we put that frustration with one person in the context of God's sovereignty and your growth in Christ... That means God has placed that person in your life that you may grow. So that person that is, that is really driving you, what should be your first inclination when you pray? Now, Lord, help me deal with this person. Lord, thank you for this person. I'm struggling. Help me to grow because of them. Help me to love them beyond my own ability. Give me your love for them. They are part of your sanctification. Do you give thanks for those that bother you? Paul did. Moving past Paul's thankfulness, let's look and see at Paul's reason for his thankfulness. Verse 5, Paul writes, Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Paul's prayer will continue in verse 6, but before the what, he gives the why. Paul says he thanks the Lord for Philemon because of what he has just heard about him. Remember, if you look at, uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself, Paul has never been to Colossae. He has only heard. So he continues on because of the love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, we need to stop for a moment because when we read through it, it seems all well and good. But we need to just take a minute and, and, and pay attention to what we're reading, even when it sounds really good, to make sure we understand it. Because we can have love and faith toward the Lord Jesus. And we can have love toward the saints, but not faith toward the saints. We only have faith in one person, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, there are, par- there are verses that depend on who you talk to or who you listen to as a commentator will say, well, there's other parallel verses such as Ephesians 1.15, where Paul writes, For this reason, too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Or Colossians 1.4, again, Paul, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, it would seem we have parallel verses, and we can just split these apart and say one portion goes to one and one portion goes to the other. But in both instances, the proportions the are separated to the ones Paul is talking about. So we need to just stop and do a little bit of homework and take a little bit harder look. This Greek word for faith here is pistis, which can also be translated good faith, faithfulness, sincerity. So then the next question should be for us, is there a proof text to help us understand that? So we're going to take a look at two, two verses really quick. Romans 3, 3 will be our first one. Verse 3, what then? If some did not believe, their, un- their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? So that's the same word, piscis, translated faithfulness, faithfulness of God. Titus 2.10, Titus right before Philemon. And we're going to start in verse 9. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. To be well pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so they'll adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. With this understanding, faithfulness, good faith, verse, verse 5 makes sense. Philemon has love, agape, sacrificial love, toward Jesus and faithfulness to the, uh, to the Lord Jesus as well. He has love toward the saints. And he is faithful to the saints, both of which we also should display to one another, a love, a sacrificial love, and a faithfulness. In summary, and you might say in in plain language, his life, Paul is saying that Philemon's life displays a consistent love for Christ and a consistent faithfulness. Because otherwise, if it was just one instance, Paul would not write about it here. And in the same manner, as we're going to see, Philemon displays a consistent love for the believers in his church and a consistent faithfulness. And this is important because you remember when we talk about Philemon and the fact that the house is in his church, that infers for us that he is a what? He is a leader within the church. And we are not leaders as if leaders in the world. The leader in the church serves the body of Christ. You cannot be a serving leader or one of service without faithfulness. He was faithful as a servant. But notice at the end, and this is something we're going to have to carry forward. In Paul presenting this characteristic of Philemon, Paul says Philemon has love for how many saints? He has love for all the saints. The Holy Spirit, again, is carefully crafting his words through Paul because we know where we're going in this letter. Paul is going to be making an appeal for Onesimus. Philemon, remember, you have love for all the saints. Verse 6, in looking at Paul's prayerful desire for Philemon, he writes, And I pray that the fellowship of your faith, may be effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Now, the and I pray is just added in there in italics so we remember where we're coming from. Verse 4, where Paul starts to pray. But our first leap into this, and, 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 to, and to look at this verse, I confess, I can throw myself in the weeds so quickly and I'm, and because there's so much richness within this verse in the Greek. And again, I know enough Greek just to hurt myself. But we can't go far too far without looking at that, at the fellowship of your faith because it's one of those phrases for those who are in my Sunday school that I often say to you, if I was to have you stop and say, what does that mean? Well, we read it because it sounds good. and We keep going. But if you were to be sort of put against the wall and say, describe what fellowship of faith is. What is your fellowship of your faith? You would sort of dance around it and wonder really what you're talking about. And I would do the same. That word fellowship is a common word we've heard in other, ver- uh, other sermons, koinonia. But it's important for us to understand in the context of this letter. I'm going to go through four verses. I'm just going to read through them, so if you want to write them down, I probably won't keep up with you in terms of f- page flipping. And then we'll go through them right afterwards. The first one in Acts 2.42, and in each one, we're going to have that word koinonia. Acts 2.42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Romans 15.26 For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 10.16 Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? And the last one, 2 Corinthians 8, 3, and 4. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So in Acts, new believers with a newfound faith desired fellowship with one another. So we see that same word translated again, fellowship. Romans, because of their common faith, the Macedonians, the Achaeans, desired to contribute, koinonia, to the brethren in Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians, because of their common faith, they and we share symbolically in the body and blood of Christ during the communion supper. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, speaking of the Macedonian churches, even in their deep affliction, their faith motivated them, causing a desire for participation to support the saints who were in need. This fellowship, this koinonia, is translated participation, contribution, sharing. So what does this mean, fellowship of your faith? It's the outward manifestation of your faith. It's naturally what should happen because of faith in Christ Jesus. It is what should naturally flow out of you. Paul in Ephesians 2.10 says, We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so we should walk in them. We should naturally have that outflowing of good works, a desire to honor Christ in our lives as a result of our faith. Philemon's fellowship of his faith, Paul writes, he desires that it would be more effective. Here in verse 5, excuse me, verse 7, no, verse (laughs) 6, verse 6. He desires to be more effective. And what does that mean? One verse really gave me sort of a clue what Paul is saying, I desire that the fellowship of your faith would be more effective. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. He desires... Philemon's fellowship of his faith, the natural outpouring, to be more active, to continue to be effective. It continue, he desires it to have a greater effect, yet through what? Through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you, for Christ's sake. The Holy Spirit again continues to words, use words that have meaning for Paul and for Philemon. Through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you towards or for Christ's sake. That knowledge is just not a general knowledge. This knowledge is a specific knowledge that lays claim to personal involvement. A working knowledge. Many times when you read your scriptures, when you see that word knowledge, sometimes you have a little one next to it and you turn to the side and it says real knowledge. Or it has a little one next to it and you turn to it and it says uh, true knowledge. It's the same word. Epigenosis. And that word is a working knowledge. So Paul desires this, that this fellowship of his faith to have a greater effect through a working knowledge of the good that is in him through Christ Jesus. Now we know that Paul says that, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. Yet with Philemon, he is called to a true knowledge of what is good in him toward Christ. And as McKnight says, uh, one of the authors, he says, this good lies outside of human capabilities, and so emerges from God's transforming work. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1 for just a moment. Here Paul writes a parallel verse to what he's saying here. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It is through a knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we can bear fruit in every good work. God's word, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, grants us a knowledge of his will, that is the good in us towards Christ or for Christ's sake, not of ourselves, but of him. So when we look at Philemon's chapter six, uh, excuse me, verse 6, this is an exhortation from Paul to continue to do the things he is already doing within his church. It also points, Philemon, to correct action in the future as the appeal continues to move closer for Onesimus. And this is an important thing for us to understand with this exhortation from Paul to Philemon to continue to do what he has been doing within his church. How how have we been doing these kind of things in our church? How is the fellowship of our faith within the church? Paul then writes about his joy from Philemon in verse 7. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through your brother. So as we see, Philemon has already been serving his local church faithfully. And to hear about this has brought joy to Paul's heart. We know what joy is. It's a gladness. He has a gladness about him. It's not happiness. It's it's something from the Lord. He sees the Lord working in Philemon and it gives him a joy from the Lord within Paul's heart. But this next word, comfort, this is is just akin right next to that word, parakletos, which is the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Paul receives a comfort from just hearing about what Philemon is doing. But we see this love, this agape of Philemon, is determined by the actions it's going to take in the following words. He says he has much joy and comfort in your love, because why? Why? Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. He's come to have much joy and comfort in comfort his love. But remember, as we said earlier, Paul has not been to Colossae. Colossians 2, 1 and 2 says that Colossae and Laodicea have not seen his face. So for Paul, imagine Paul, leader of the Gentile church, to not be able to go there who is not able to directly help or work alongside this church? Philemon's love and love for the brethren has brought joy and comfort to Paul. He is hearing about one Philemon, who is doing which Paul cannot do. Do we think Paul wants to be there? Absolutely. Anybody writes this letter to to encourage Philemon, of course, with the purpose to later apply to the appeal. But Paul is hearing of one faithfully doing, which he cannot. You know, this is very much, uh, I'll, I'll just, just as an aside, when I, when I was writing this, what came to mind is, you know, for Sabrina and I to be at Shiloh for the summer, it, is, it can be difficult at times. And first and foremost, because we want to be in church. We want to fellowship with the brethren. And it's hard. But in coming to the elders' meetings with pastor josh and pastor barney and we came we were we come in here to pray first and then we go out to our meeting and this past summer um you know this was the first summer first vbs we've had since covid but really the first vbs in over 20 years that sabrina and i have not been a part of it was different but when we would walk by that organ and i saw the names that were on that list desiring to help with vbs this is what i felt This is what I felt. I had much joy and comfort in the love of the saints. I I literally felt joy looking at that paperwork. And then when someone sent me the lesson plans, and this is not to puff them up, but I saw the lesson plans that were written themselves for the kids of this community and the kids of this church, they didn't go to another preset plan, a preset lesson, they wrote them. And when I read them, as an elder, I was so touched. I felt joy and comfort in their love. They refreshed my heart for as someone who could not be here. I was so happy. But this is not the heart. And when it talks about the hearts of the saints being refreshed, this word is not the word for a muscle. This is a place of the inner emotions, a seat of emotions for them, for Paul. or or I should say for them, the church. Philemon has refreshed the hearts of the saints. So what does that mean to be refreshed for the Christian? Let's turn to Matthew 11, please. We're going to start in verse 25 to the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus speaks to all in verse 28, of course. Come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. And I'm going to butcher the Greek, so just bear with me. This word is anapau, to give rest. This is the same word. For what Philemon is doing for the saints in Colossae, he is giving them refreshment and Then Jesus says in verse 29, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." This is anapauesis to cease from labor. But note the context. We pull out verse 28 and 29, and we use it often when it comes to to telling somebody about Jesus, about salvation. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. But look at the context. Jesus said, right before calling those who are weary and heavy laden, He said, No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and to whom anyone the Son wills to reveal Him. So, what is part and parcel? Of us receiving rest from Jesus. It is Jesus revealing the Father to us. It is Jesus bringing reconciliation to us with a Father with whom we've had enmity with our entire lives. He takes us from enmity and wrath to reconciliation and relationship. And so, what does that do? We who are weary and heavy laden with our burden of sin, we are giving rest. In Christ, we are forgiven. We no longer carry that burden and guilt. And we have enapao, rest. Second, we've continually strived our entire life to justify our actions. In our own strength, by our own words. Well, this, one, this person grieved me, so this is why I did this to them. Well, the boss makes plenty of money, so it's okay if I take this, he'll never know. Well, my wife, really, she said this, and she knows that bothers me, so, you know, I'm not going to talk to her the rest of the day, and I am right in doing so. We are continually justifying ourselves until we come to Christ. Now, finally, we cease from our labor, because who gives us justification? Jesus Christ alone has done the work for our justification. And we have anapausis, rest from our labor. If Christ is the one who gives true rest, if he is the one who gives true refreshing, then it can be reasoned that the hearts of the saints, of Christians, their heart, their seat of emotions, cannot be truly refreshed by anyone except those who have received refreshment through Jesus Christ. So we need to connect this. What does having a heart of Christ look like? Colossians chapter 3, in verse 12 and 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart, that's the same heart, not heart, cardia, muscle, heart, seat of emotion. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. This is the very same expression, idea expressed in Philemon. Paul, from afar, has found joy and comfort in Philemon's love for the saints because Philemon refreshes their hearts. How does Philemon refresh their hearts? He has a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience toward the people in his church. He refreshes their hearts by having this heart of compassion. He bore with others he forgave others just as the Lord forgave him is how he has, has and is doing for others. He forgives them. And in doing so, it is not about what he's getting from the church. It's about what he's giving to the others in the church. He is one who desires to refresh. When he comes with the body of Christ, he sees himself as one who desires to serve the others For their better, and Paul ends this verse by calling him brother. You can almost see Paul, the elder Christian, putting his arm around Philemon and saying, "You have refreshed the hearts, brother. Well done. You are doing as you're supposed to do." So we'll stop there in verse seven. The human heart cannot be given rest or refreshed until it comes to a knowledge of the Father through the saving work of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, the human heart, the Christian heart, cannot be refreshed except by a heart that has already been refreshed by Christ. So first and foremost, have you received the refreshment of salvation that comes in Jesus Christ? Have you received the rest that comes from laying down a burden of sin, knowing you cannot carry it to the end destination? because there's a result there you don't want to see? Have you received the rest by laying it down now and letting Jesus forgive it and carry it the rest of the way except to a different destination? Are you ready for your penalty to be paid in full? If if so, I encourage you to accept that salvation because there is no other salvation except in the name of Jesus Christ if you have received Christ, if you know the rest and refreshment that's found in him, what does the fellowship of your faith look like? Are you refreshing the hearts of the saints? Are they receiving refreshment from you? I've written about three different endings to this sermon, but I'm going to end with this because it just happened recently. You know, this, this summer, as quick as it has gone by, Sabrina and I are exhausted. We are, we are just tired. And, and by God's grace, a couple came into my house yesterday. And, and, and as the Holy Spirit does, it just connects the hearts of believers. And they are willing to listen to me ramble on for a while. You know what they said to me? They said, let us pray for you. And they prayed with the right words at the right time. And they touched my heart. In fact, they refreshed my heart. I had a joy for the rest of that day because it was at a right time when need was there. And brothers and sisters, we have got to get past the immaturity in Christ and thinking that this is a place for attendance But even more so, a place to attend with our brothers and sisters whom have hurts and issues and pains that you do not see. But we don't talk to each other, and we head right to the door. Your brothers and sisters need more than news about your car or what you did last weekend or what you're going to buy this coming week. They need to be encouraged in Christ and be told, continue striving, continue moving forward, Ask the Lord, am I a refreshment to my brothers and sisters in this body in New Woodstock? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, again, you have been faithful to give us breath in our lungs. And Lord, you have been doubly faithful by giving us a body in New Woodstock, a body of Christ, part of your body in this world. And Lord, by your good grace, you've planted us here Lord, would you, you loved us so much that you gave your son each individually for us on the cross. Lord, would you grant each one of us, and start with me, Father, that I would love and we would love each person in this church, that we'd be willing to sacrifice our time, sacrifice our, our whatever needs to be sacrificed that we desire to hold on to, Lord, that we would be that refreshment to those around us that others would find joy and comfort in us, in our love for others. And Lord, ultimately, use us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.